0: Good. Everyone realise it's still summer? Yeah? Thunderstorms last night and rain through the week and more coming doesn't make it easy to think that it's summer anymore, does it? Um, But it is. It's it's the big holiday season, isn't it? The time of getting away, the time of recharging batteries. Um, How many of you have actually managed to get away over the summer so far? Many of you had a bit of a holiday? Yeah? Yeah? Okay, a few hands going up here and there, and hopefully a few of you maybe have holidays planned coming up, or maybe you're one of those people that um, recognises that actually the summer's probably the worst time to take a holiday, because it's the busiest time, the most expensive time, so you take it uh, at other points um, of the year. Whatever it is, I uh, I reckon whatever it is you do for holidays, or whenever you take them, you probably all agree that holidays are something that you look forward to, aren't they? Everybody look forward to holidays? Yeah, I definitely look forward to holidays. It's amazing what holidays can do, isn't it? Anyone ever feel like Simon the Ogre just before a holiday? Like you're no longer really you anymore, but just this grumpy ogre struggling through life. Like uh, you've got to get away to recover who you are and become human again. Or anyone ever feel maybe not like a grumpy ogre, but you, you have those times when you feel like in life everyone just wants a piece of you. And and there's not enough hours in the day and you're just drained and you're worn out, consumed by jobs and the demands of life. And you just need that time to escape and get away. Now we've probably all had one of those moments, haven't we? Where uh, where life just seems too much and we sit back and we think, I just need a holiday. You know, holidays can be one of those things that we look to with so much hope and so much anticipation. You know, when we're struggling with different things through life, we can think, well, it's okay. It's only a few more days, only a few more weeks. The holiday is just around the corner. I can make it that far. And we can end up clinging to this hope that the holiday will fix all of our problems. It will recharge the batteries. It will give us a new perspective. It will give us a new vision and drive for life. It will make us feel human again. And you know what? Holidays can be fantastic, can't they? Holidays can do amazing things. And holidays are sometimes something which is definitely needed. But how many of you can also relate to that feeling at the end of a holiday when you come home and, and you walk through the door? And in an incredibly short space of time, you're hit by the pressure of life again. As you walk in and you see the mess that you're left in, the eagerness to leave, and suddenly you've got to clear it all up. As you see the pile of posts and the bills that have to be sorted. As you see the answer machine flashing, and you just know that it's drawing your attention, and there's demands that are there. As you open your email, and the numbers just seem to keep going up on the inbox. It doesn't seem to stop. You know, There's so many different things, and within a short space of time, a matter of days you can be back exactly where you were before. Back exactly where you were before, feeling drained, feeling worn down by life. All of those problems that you tried to escape suddenly back on your shoulders. And even though it's only days later, you're back in that place of just holding on for the next holiday. Has anyone ever been there? You know, so often in life, the things that we put our hope in, that we eagerly anticipate and that we work towards, they are things which are good. And things which can, can do us good. But very rarely do they actually deliver the big fix that we're hoping for. They do do us good. They provide a, a, a momentary relief. They provide a, a kind of a, a distraction and an escape. They provide a, a bit of a respite. But they don't actually provide a long-term solution. Now, it might be that you, um, you don't relate to longing for a holiday. But we've all had those times in life where we feel weak, haven't we? Times when we feel like life is just too much, like we're failing in our different roles, whether it be at work or at home in the family or whether it be in ministry. Times when we feel drained and empty and we know we need something to change. And we all have things that we then put our hope in in those moments, don't we? Things that we look to to try and, and fix the problem. Things that if we're honest we cry out for and we long for inside that we think will satisfy us and make all the difference. Now we're continuing the series Somewhere in the Psalms today, encounters with God. And we're going to look at a psalm in which we see someone anticipating and putting their hope in something in a very similar way to we do with a holiday. In fact, the psalm is focused around a time which would have been a highlight in the year for Jewish families. A time when they would take a break from their work and they would get away and they would travel to Jerusalem. And then they would see the sights and the sounds of the big city. They would get together with friends and with family and they'd have a big party. You know, many of the families, they'd travel long distances and they would go through really hard journeys in order to to get there. But you know, for these families, this trip was way better than just a a holiday to Disneyland or to get to go to Hawaii or to the Bahamas, as great as those things might seem. It was way better than just an an escape and a break and and a time to blow off steam at a party with friends. You know, what motivated them was simply a desire to meet with God. To be close to God. And to experience his presence and his strength and his help. And to know the joy of being with him. They understood that despite Thompson's claim about holidays, that however amazing a holiday might be at the time, it's never enough to fix all our problems But when we take a break from the demands of life in order to spend time with God, then it really does have the potential to change everything. The psalm we're going to be looking at then is is psalm number 84. You can look it up in your Bibles if you've got one. It'll pop on the screen behind me too so we can read along together. This is what it says. How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty! My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh, cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home and the a nest for herself where she may have her young, a place near your altar. Lord Almighty, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength, till each appears before God in Zion. Hear my prayer, Lord God Almighty. Listen to me, God of Jacob. Look on our shield, O God. Look with favor on your anointed one. Better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. Lord Almighty, blessed is the one who trusts in you. you now when you read through this psalm, it's pretty clear that the writer is hoping in something, isn't it? You know, what they are, it's pretty clear what that is and what it is that they're longing for and anticipating. The image that you, that you get. At the start of the psalm with those first few verses, you know, is is one of physical appetite and hunger. You know, it says, My heart and my soul cry out for you, the living God. And the, the word that's used there for crying out is the same word that might be used to describe something that at the moment is very familiar to me. It's the way that you might describe a baby in that moment when their face scrunches up and they clench their fists and their arms and their legs start kicking around and they open their mouth with a big cry. And why do they do it? Because they're hungry. Because they're consumed by this longing, this yearning, this desire, this appetite that needs to be satisfied and they cry out, knowing that the only thing that is ever going to be able to satisfy them is one thing, milk. This all-consuming cry of a baby is the kind of cry that the psalmist is talking about. As they describe this longing and desire to be in the presence of God. The writer knows that the only thing that can truly satisfy him is God. His whole being cries out for God. You see it with a baby, it's not just their mouth, is it? Their whole being goes into this cry, this longing. Because he knows that anything else in this world, it might provide a, a momentary bit of respite. It might provide a temporary fix or make him feel better for a time. But God's presence was the only thing he knew would really change everything. You know, as the writer starts to think about drawing close to God, the creator of everything, you can imagine them thinking, well, why should God care about me? Who am I? Why should God care about my life and the problems that I'm facing? Why should God care about my needs and my hopes and my dreams and my future? No, but they don't let themselves go down that road of discouragement. Instead, the writer reminds themselves how even a sparrow, how this, this common bird that is worth nothing, is able to find a home in God's presence. That God who made all things and controls all things allows these birds to make a home next to his altar. And for that to be a place of safety and protection for them. And you've got to remember what it is that happens at the altar. What happens at the altar? It's a place of animal sacrifice. It's a place where you see birds and sheep and bulls being slaughtered. As a reminder of how pure and holy and unapproachable God is. And yet in the midst of this place, a little sparrow makes their home. Makes a nest for his little chicks that's safe and protected in God's house. Isn't that an amazing picture of God's protection over us? That no matter who you are or how insignificant you might feel, that God invites you and welcomes you to draw close to him. To make your home with him. And how when you do that, suddenly like the sparrow, you're no longer at risk of being the one on the altar sacrificed. You no longer face the judgment for the wrong things that you've done. Instead, you're in a place of safety. And even when you look out and it feels like everywhere else in the world, there's just slaughter and destruction and violence and pain. You're safe in the midst of God's presence. Safe in the arms of Jesus. You know, we don't know much about the writer of this psalm. We don't know if he was someone of importance or not. We don't know what kinds of problems he might have been facing in life. But whatever his situation, he knew that when he was in the presence of God, that when he was focused on God, he was like that little bird. Safe, he was secure, and he needed to fear Nothing. You know, the amazing truth is that because of Jesus, the sacrifice on the altar has been paid. And we don't need to travel to a special place to be able to go and meet with God and to be in his presence. You know, Jesus promises that when we give our lives to him, he will be with us, as we talked about earlier, always. There's never a time when he's not with us. You know, and just as the sparrow was welcome in the temple, so God is inviting you. God is inviting everyone to draw near to him. He's saying you are welcome to put your trust in him and to make your home with him. And when we do that, Jesus promises that his spirit will live within us and that nothing can separate us from him. Now, that's a fantastic invitation which is available to you today. If you don't know Jesus. But it's also a fantastic reminder to those of us who do know Jesus that no matter how we might be feeling, that God is never distant. No matter how you might be feeling when you try and spend time with him, he's never distant. His home is within you. He is intimately close to you. There is no barrier between you and him. In every moment of your days, nothing can separate you from him because his spirit lives within you. You know, later on in verse 10, we find an incredible statement. It's a really well-known verse, one that many of you will have heard of before. But he, that he writes, better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. You know, and what becomes clear is that not only is there a longing and a hunger and a desire to be close to God, but there's a recognition of the value of Of being close to God. And that the writer would gladly trade a thousand days anywhere else, however great it might be, for just one day. Just one day being close to God and in his presence. One day of encountering something of how awesome he is and being amazed by the fact that he loves us so much. He's saying if I had a choice between encountering God and knowing his presence with me or going on a dream holiday... I'd choose God. He's saying if, if I had a choice between spending time with God or being able to escape on the golf course or go to a football match or go out shopping with someone else's credit card, I'd choose God. Without a moment's hesitation, I'd choose God. You know, we all face a lot of things in life that pull at our attention. And that promise to provide fulfillment and satisfaction. And that if we allow them, they will draw our attention and our focus away from Jesus as we try and, and kind of, um, find fulfillment outside of him. I remember, um, what my, what my life was like before I made the conscious decision to, um, to spend it following Jesus. Now, I was young and, and I was driven essentially by two things, a desire to be accepted and a desire to be successful. And I was convinced that if I had those two things, that I would be happy, I would be satisfied, and I would be fulfilled in life. The problem was that I defined those two things by the people around me. So for me, what it was to be accepted meant that I did the same things that everybody else did. So I drank and chased after girls and all the rest of it that that everybody else did. And for me to be successful meant that I would pour all of my energy into whatever would gain me recognition. And praise from people around me. And so for me, that was music. I played in as many bands as I could. I played as many solos as I could. I showed off and made myself appear as good as I could simply so that I would be recognized by people and receive their praise because I enjoyed it. So, by my own definition, I ended up being accepted and successful. But despite that, I wasn't happy, I wasn't satisfied and I wasn't fulfilled with my life. Instead, even though in many ways I had everything that I thought that I wanted, I still felt empty, I still felt insecure in who I was, and I still felt like my life was pointless. And for me, when I made the decision to accept God's invitation to draw near to him and to enter into a relationship with him, when I recognized the mess that I was making of my own life and I received his forgiveness, when I began to actively follow him, that was, this was probably the biggest area of change within my life. It didn't happen overnight, but slowly my eyes were opened to see just how empty what I'd spent my life pursuing really was. And in Jesus, I discovered how I could really have life in all its fullness. I discovered not just forgiveness and a hope for when I die, but a a hope and a purpose in my life here and now. Something worth living for here and now. I discovered that I didn't need to fight for acceptance because I'd been accepted by the living God. And every time I sat in his presence, I was just overwhelmed by the joy of knowing him and the privilege of being able to come to him. Slowly I stopped drinking and doing the different things that I'd been doing and chasing after and involved and I stopped trying to put all my hope for the future in being successful um, in music. And I didn't stop all those different things because somebody came along and told me that they were wrong. Because to be honest, nobody ever did. I stopped all of those things because I realized that it is better to have one day with God than it is to have a thousand days without him. I realized that it was better to be a servant of God and a doorkeeper in his house than to dwell with everything that I desired in the tents of the wicked. I might have had some fun times and some moments when everything seemed great, but the overriding feeling within my life was one of pointlessness. So why would I chase after after that if I could just have one day with God? Why would I trade that one day for a thousand days of pointlessness? Now, Life without Jesus just doesn't compare to life with him. It might be this morning that for some of you there are are things in your life that you've been holding on to. Things that you've looked to to satisfy you and to, to bring you acceptance or a sense of meaning. Things that you've looked to to help you escape from your problems. And God is wanting to speak to you today and to tell you it's okay you can let go. You can let go now. These things might provide a momentary fix. They might make you feel better for a time, but they can never fully satisfy you. You can never really gain healing through them or have a future in them. God is saying you can trust me because better is one day, one day with me than a thousand anywhere else. That's been my experience. And so if you are aware of things that you have been putting your hope in and chasing after and pursuing outside of God and have been holding on to them and they've been holding you back then from your relationship with him, I want to encourage you to make a decision today to let go. So trust in God because he can provide for you and care for you, and satisfy you, and fulfill you, and give your life meaning in a way that nothing else ever can. You know, God makes the amazing promise that he's not just a momentary fix, but that when we give our lives to him and when we trust in him, no matter what, he will be with us always. But you know, just because God is with us always doesn't mean that our relationship with him is always as dynamic as the one this psalmist writes about. Now, if you think back through the times in your life when you've experienced the kind of longing and desire and that crying out for somebody that's described at the beginning of the psalm, I would imagine that the main time that you've probably ever experienced something like that are times when you felt like you've been falling in love. You know, times when you've been desperate to draw close to someone, to develop a relationship with them, to get to know them more. You know, most relationships with people start like that, don't they? Maybe you can think back and remember a time like that with somebody. I can certainly remember times right back when I was a teenager, you know, having experienced that kind of longing and desire and that being a driving force for pursuing somebody. I can remember when uh, we first met Rosie and we were getting together and that first point of that relationship and the excitement and the anticipation of every time we got to be together and how amazing it was. But I wonder how many of you can also relate to those times in your relationships, where it isn't quite like that. Maybe you've been in a situation where you love one another and you've been committed to one another. But so often, actually, your time together, if you're honest, feels more like a business meeting and a business partnership than it does anything romantic. You can feel like your business partner's working together to manage the jobs and the demands of family life rather than just enjoying time and loving one another. You know, there's jobs that need to be done, but there's a real danger when that's all our relationship becomes about. We'll have a look at a few pictures of some people in relationships. What do you reckon? Do you reckon these guys look happy? Engaged? Committed to one another? And these are couples that, that they might be in relationship, but, and they might be physically together and with one another. But at least at the moment the picture's taken, there's no signs of any kind of engagement, is there? You know, they'd rather be looking in the fish tank or distracting themselves with the TV or spending their time looking at what everyone else is doing in their lives at Facebook on their phones than they would actually engaging with one another. Maybe you've had relationships where actually the truth is that you've become distant from one another. And while you spend time together, you simply struggle to connect. And you've maybe really just given up Trying. There's nothing dynamic about the relationship anymore. It's stagnant. You know, we often talk about how incredible it is that Jesus makes it possible for us not just to be religious people but to have an active, living, personal relationship with God. You know, but just as our relationships with people require us not just to be physically together for them to flourish, for them to grow, for them to go deeper, but to actually spend quality time with one another, connecting with one another, for them to grow and be fulfilling, it's exactly the same with our relationship with God if we don't want it to stagnate. You know, and just as our relationships with other people can end up becoming like business partnerships, so can our relationship with God. Maybe when you think about your relationship with God and you're honest with yourself, you know that it's not all that it could be. One of the things that I feel God has been speaking to me about recently is just how important it is that, like we read in this psalm, we stop and make His presence our home. The place where we dwell, the place where we rest, the place where we simply enjoy being with Him with no agenda. You know, I feel like God has personally challenged me that I need to make time to simply enjoy him. To enjoy his presence, whether that's out walking on a coastal path, whether that's sat in my office reading his word, whether that's um, in the living room with some worship music playing on a CD, sat next to Rosie as we pray together, whatever it might be, just to make time out with no agenda to just enjoy him. A time when I'm not coming to him with something that I want to be praying about. I'm not coming to him with something that I want to ask him for or ask him to speak to me about. A time which isn't just a business meeting. But it's simply time with Jesus. Time with a God who loves me and who I love. You know, we see this kind of a lifestyle modelled by Jesus again and again, don't we? You know, as we read through the different accounts of his life story, how often do we read about how he would withdraw He'd withdraw from the business. He'd withdraw from the crowds. He'd withdraw from the amazing things that he was doing amongst people and how effective his ministry was simply to spend time with his heavenly Father, to enjoy his relationship with God. You know, the truth that we find in this psalm is that time in the presence of God is better than anything else. That living life with our mind fixed on God And Him as the one that we long for and pursue and desire and cry after leads to us being more satisfied than anything else. And that when we face hard times, but our hearts are set on Him, He will strengthen us and refresh us and bring us through them. That it's God who gives us life to the full, and it is God who should be our greatest value, our greatest treasure within life. I want to read you something that um, Max Lucado wrote in his book, The Great House of God. He, this is what he says. He wrote this. God wants to be your dwelling place. He has no interest in being a weekend getaway or a Sunday bungalow or a summer cottage. Don't consider using God as a vacation cabin or an eventual retirement home. He wants you under his roof now and always. He wants to be your mailing address, your point of reference. He wants to be your home. Listen to the promises of his son. If my people love me, they will obey my teaching. My father will love them and he will come to them and make our home with them. For many, this is a new thought. We think of God as a deity to discuss, not a place to dwell. We think of God as a mysterious miracle worker, not a house to live in. We think of God as a creator to call on, not a home to reside in. But our father wants to be much more. He wants to be the one in who we live and move and have our being. When God led the children of Israel through the wilderness, he didn't just appear once a day and then abandon them. The pillar of fire was present all night. The cloud was present all day. Our God never leaves us. I will be with you always, he promised. Our faith takes a quantum leap when we understand the perpetual presence of the Father. Our God is the fire of our night and the cloud of our day. He never leaves us. Heaven knows no difference between Sunday morning and Wednesday afternoon. God longs to speak in the workplace just as much as he does in church. He longs to be worshipped when we sit at the dinner table and not just when we come to his communion table. You may go for days without thinking of him, but there's never a moment when he's not thinking of you. You know, God is thinking about you right now. It's incredible, isn't it? That his heart is for you and he is inviting you into relationship with him. No matter who you are or where you're at. God is simply waiting with an open invitation saying, welcome, make me your home. Draw near to me, trust me. And for you to really put your trust in him and enter into relationship with him, or for you to take your relationship with him to a deeper level, know that in trust involves letting go of something, letting go of the other things in life that we've looked to, and accepting the truth that God has what's best for us. And this isn't a momentary decision because God doesn't want to just provide a momentary fix. What it's about is making a commitment to pursue God and make him your chief desire every day. To make him your dwelling place. To put your trust in him to provide everything that you need in every moment, in every day. It might be this morning that you feel like you're in a similar place to how we started things at the beginning. A place where you feel drained in life and like you need a break. And you're crying out for a holiday. And if that's the case, you know what? I want to encourage you to take one. We all need a break sometimes. But don't use it as simply a chance to escape. Because do you know what? You might come back physically rested, but you'll be back in the same place you were days later. Prioritize time with God during your holiday. So you don't just come back physically rested, but spiritually refreshed. It's something that will last a long, long time. And you can carry on with you through daily life. Something that changes Everything. Or it might be that you're more like me and you feel God challenging you to take time out to simply enjoy him. And if that's the case, I want to encourage you first and foremost, prioritize time with God every day. Get stuck into your Bible and spend time praying. But beyond that, because that can so often just become a business meeting, I want to encourage you at the next chance you get, pull out your diary or your phone or your tablet or whatever it is you use and block out an hour or two hours or half a day or however much you can manage to simply spend time with God with no agenda to sit in his presence, to go for a walk with him in the countryside enjoy the beauty of his creation, whatever it might be just to fix your mind on God because better is one day or one hour or two hours or half a day in the presence of God knowing him with you and a thousand things doing other things. Now, I know how easy it is for time to run away with us and become packed with other things, but I want to encourage you to, this week, make an effort to carve out some time, special time with God, because it can be some of the most significant and blessed time that you will ever have. You know, and unlike Thompson's promise, it really can change everything. Lastly, it might be that you can relate to where I was at before I started to follow Jesus. That you've been searching for meaning and happiness in life in all the wrong places. And if that's the case, then God is inviting you today to make a decision to instead put your trust in him. He's saying, you're welcome. Whoever you are, wherever you're at, you're welcome. And as you do that, I know that like me, you will discover that satisfaction and fulfillment in life can only be found in Jesus. And that a life with him cannot even begin to compare with a life without.